Collective show. I'm your host Jen Sherman, and we have really special guests on today. Um, we have a two guests. Uh, we typically do one, but this is a special occasion. And the first one is Gabrielle Webster. She's the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club Greater Washington. And then Khalil Green. He's the Yale College student body president and also an alumni of the Boys and Girls Club Greater Washington. So it'll be a fun conversation today. Welcome to you both. It's a beautiful day um, to be alive. And uh, how are you both doing today? Doing well. Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate it. Yes, it's nice, good weather, no more storms like it was for the past few days. So looking forward to a good day. So Khalil, I see that you have a background of school. Where are you right now? Are you in DC or are you still at school? Yeah, so no, I'm, I'm home. I'm right outside of DC in Maryland. I got kicked off of campus back in March when the crisis finally hit America hard. Um, this is my, my best way of just uh, reminding myself of what school's like and holding on to that memory. Uh, I love it. Well, it's a beautiful school. I personally haven't been. I went to Maryland and um, that campus has just gotten more beautiful over the years, but hopefully you'll be able to be at ba back at campus soon. Yeah. So starting off with um, Gabrielle, can you just give us a little bit more, uh, tell us about the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington, a little bit about your background experience, and then I'll want to pass it over to Khalil to say, to ask him about his experience um, at the club as well. Sure, thank you. Yes, Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington has been in existence for over 134 years. So we are one of the oldest clubs in the um, Boys and Girls Club movement. We currently have 15 locations in Northern Virginia, the district and suburban Maryland. And we serve about 21,000 kids annually. So, so quite a few kids. Um, we are the premier youth development organization, I feel. Um, in the nation and we serve more kids than any other organization according to our numbers so we really get to touch a lot of kids i've been fortunate to be with boys and girls clubs of greater washington for a little over three years now and it has been just a tremendous pleasure to to be here and work with these kids and to really try to provide them with the opportunity to have the best future possible Love that. How about you, Khalil? Tell us about your experience. Yeah, so I guess I've been affiliated with Boys and Girls Clubs for the past 13 years. Wow. I started off as a club kid when I was seven. Um, and then the last time I went to a club was uh, in the beginning of high school when I was 14. So I spent about seven years attending the Boys and Girls Clubs, both, or not both, but all three of their before school, after school, and their summer camp programs. Um, so it was definitely like really integral in my, my childhood and younger years. And then last year, I kind of rekindled that relationship um, when I met with Kimberly Lane, Gabrielle after my election and the press that followed that. Um, and this summer, I'm working as both like a student advocate, but also a formal intern for the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington. Um, and the projects I'm doing is uh, include grant writing. Um, I'm doing communications and social media work and then also just general fundraising uh, and alumni engagement. I love that. Well, first off, congratulations on becoming elected president. I remember back, I think the one time I ran was when I was in fifth grade. I think I lost to VP, but it was a tight race. Um, it was a tight race. So congratulations on that. That's an amazing accomplishment. Um, 
I'm going to ask you, I'll start off actually with you, Khalil, and asking you of what makes the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington different and unique? Especially, you know, you were involved and still involved, um, but involved for 13 years and now back, back within the community. Yeah, I'd say what makes it unique is, if I had to put it to one thing specifically, it's the interplay between education and recreation, especially in very unique ways. So obviously when you're in school, you're sitting in a classroom, you're absorbing facts, you're taking tests, um, but you're learning, I guess, in that way, in that formal way. But at Boys and Girls Club, you're also learning in a lot of informal ways. So an example is something we used to do is called the Boys and Girls Club Olympics, where it wasn't just about sports, um, but each uh, club kid would get like randomly assigned with other club kids to represent a certain country. And a part of that competition was learning facts about the country, learning about the culture, um, really being able to articulate like your, your worldview that you learned from, from that um, initiative. And then also smaller things, or like not smaller things, but other things like, for example, in the summer camp, they used to take us to the Smithsonian, um, the Kennedy Center, and you're learning so much from these experiences. But then it's also balanced out with really, really fun activities uh, and not just like normal sports like basketball, football, um, but certain things. I think there's a game show on Netflix called The Floor is Lava, which is a game show where people have to pretend like the floor is lava and they have to like get from one side of the building to the next. And it's like $100,000 on the line. We used to do that at Boys and Girls Clubs in our own like fun way. And it's kind of a weird sport and a weird fun competition. But you learn about teamwork. You learn about creativity and innovation. And I think that's not something that you're really going to get other places. Yeah, I actually remember playing that. I think, I don't know if it was in gym or recess, but I loved that. That was like, that was a fun game. Like, but now you can get $100,000 for it and sign me up. Yeah. Um, and that's great. And I, and I think to your point is it's always getting the book, mark, book, book smart and street smart at the same time. And being able to integrate yourself into the community experiences is a great way to do that. Um, and I think that's, no, that's, that's awesome. I would love to get also your take, Gabrielle, on, you know, what makes the club, especially let's focus on even just greater Washington, you know, as a, as a DMV um, for life, born and raised of what, what really makes the club with the, you know, the 15 locations different um, in general. I think that, I mean, we have great staff. I, I, I must start with them because if, if our staff are not the caring um, and, and motivating people that they were, they would not be able to really help us with the, the kids to the degree that they do. We also have great volunteers. Um, any nonprofit needs strong volunteers, but we're particularly lucky to have um, very committed, long-standing volunteers that really support us with their time and their resources. But it, it really is all about the kids. The kids that come through our doors are just special. They uh, overcome many challenges as all kids do, whether it's bullying or financial or just whatever kids are going through on any given day. And when they come to the club, they have a place where they can come and be themselves and they know that people care about them. And they get to see the same people year after year because many of those staff are with us for 5, 10, 20 years. So there is a sense of normalcy and consistency that, that we are able to provide them. And when you add that with all of the programming that we have, it really is just a special place to be. 
And I always tell people when they come to visit the club, because you can talk about it, but until you come to see it for yourself, it's really hard to understand just how special um, it is. And it's the kids there are just, um, they're heartwarming. And I tell people never underestimate my children. They are strong, they are capable. Um, they, they are just the best that there is. And um, as you see Khalil, he, he's just an amazing um, young man, but there's dozens and hundreds of other Khalils out there. So I don't want people to see that, think that there is only one, there are just so many. And, it, and it's really just an opportunity that we have to um, help make them even stronger and better human beings. Yeah, and, and piggybacking off of that, and I think just to, to note, um, children are always our future. And they are so smart, especially with the technology that they have access to right now. They probably know technology better than um, I know technology and I'm in my 20s. So, I mean, that says something. And I think that listening to the youth more and, and, it's, and that is what part of your mission is and empowering the youth, I think we'll see a lot more benefits down the road and leaders down the road by really uh, empowering the youth at a younger age and giving them those skills and saying, you, you are successful, you know, you have a genius, tap into that now or find something, like find your unique differentiator because all of us are special in some way. So with that, um, Khalil, I know you talked a little bit just mentioning with the, how the um, club's different and unique, but could you tell us a little bit more just about your experience? And when I say experience, just piggybacking off of what Gabrielle said of, of that community aspect, which we'll get down to, um, we'll talk more about in the interview, but what was your experience like? You know, 13 years, walking in at seven years old, you know, probably had, you know, I don't know if you want to be an astronaut or whatever that was at seven years old, seven year, year old version of Khalil, but you know, what was, what was it like? Yeah, so I'd say, uh, as I mentioned, the three things. So before school is when my parents would drop me off and we'd do like early morning like stretches and a lot of health activities before we got um, the day started, a bus would take us to school. The after school program um, was a large part of my club experience. I think when I was a, a kid, uh, you mentioned a few interests. Mine was really uh, revolved around like comic books and superheroes. So I remember with my friends at the Boys and Girls Club, we used to make our own comic books. Um, we had to like share them with other club kids, which is really cool because there's something at the Germantown Club. We had like an arts and craft center, which was a whole room with like crayons and paintbrushes and all types of different papers and stuff that you could only find at like Michael's or some sort of art shop. But it was available to me from like the age of seven. And I really got to explore that interest. Um, on top of that, there was also performance competition that Boys and Girls Club had called Icon. Um, and that wasn't necessarily my main interest, but I was able to tap into that because the opportunity was there. So I got to the second round, which is like the regional competition, doing Abbott and Costello's Who's on First Skit with my best friend from the clubs, which is like the one with the baseball player and the players named Who. And it's like, Who's on First? It's, it's funny if you guys watch it. Uh, definitely recommend it. But then also the next year, I got to do a miming routine where I was like miming trapped in a box. And it was just really cool. Like, there's a really cool interest that. Um, I either wouldn't have been able to develop or wouldn't have even found without the clubs. And then I think just in terms of escalation of like the impact that it had on me, I would say the biggest impact came from the summer camps because the summer camps were, it was like, obviously school was out. So we were there the entire day. And for me specifically, my brother 
who's six years older than me, he was always a CIT, which is a counselor in training. So like high schoolers who are employed to like take care of the kids. Um, so it was like me and my brother were at the clubs all day with all of his friends. Um, and those friends were like lifelong. Like one of my brother's fellow CITs, her name is Kelsey Nicole Nelson. She has her own radio show um, and like does like comments on like sports news um, and other relevant topics. And is like very, very well known and very successful. Um, Natasha used to run like the dance group at, at Boys and Girls Club, like does dance and uh, other, like there's so many successful stories as Gabrielle was saying before. And I'd say in terms of just like crystallizing what that experience looked like on the ground, it was meeting really cool people. It was getting opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise. And it was really developing um, like my own character and my own interests and my own ability to like achieve and succeed and inspire myself and have a vision for what I want to do in the future. Yeah, and I think you made a very good point. And, and my question was about the lifelong friends, right? Because when I look at my friendships, most of them are from like true friendships are really from childhood. Um, who They've grown up with you, right? They've seen the good, the bad, or the ugly. And, but then what's really cool, and you're, and you're in college, you're, what, what year are you? Are you graduating? I'm going senior year. Yes. Okay, going into senior year. So you're going to enter the real world. Yeah. You're, we're in the real world, but you're going to enter the real, real world. And what's really cool about that is that you have this beautiful network and the power of that and the community and the network and those long lasting relationships will be so beneficial in the long run. So really cherish those. And it sounds like you've already have cherished them, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And I'll say like, um, specifically because the clubs are community oriented, I think this might be something that's also really relevant, but like the Germantown club was, like three miles from my middle school. So like a lot of the people that I went to school with also went to the Boys and Girls Club. So it's not just, oh, I'm at the clubs and like all my friends are here and I'm talking to them only at the clubs, but these are people that like the relationships extend to school or I could see a staff member at like the supermarket and my mom would talk, like Mr. Phil, for example, I programmed it, I feel like my mom would just talk to him and know him. So like these, it's like a community center organization that fosters relationships when you're in the club, but those relationships are accessible um, and they benefit you outside of those like four walls. And did you ever have, did you, um, did you also experience and get to know others in different clubs or was it just Germantown that you, that you um, interacted with the most? Yeah, no. So we, uh, I mean, I was interacting the most with Germantown, but there were so many like different events and initiatives where we went to other clubs. So um, I mentioned this, Gabrielle, during my Hall of Fame an award announcement, but um, there was something called triple play where a bunch of clubs would compete in different events. So like ping pong, I was doing checkers and cause no one at my club really knew how to play checkers. So I learned over the course of a week and actually won the competition. I think it was at the, uh, it was like in PG County, I want to say. Um, the icon thing I mentioned with the skit on who's on first, we competed at the regional level against other clubs. And it's not just competition, but like while you're at the competition, like there's recreation, there's like, uh, like, I guess, like, like a party with, like, the hors d'oeuvres or meeting other people. Um, and then the best thing or, like, most fun thing was the dodgeball competitions that we had um, where Germantown had a lot of pride. So, once again, it was competition-based, but we got to meet a lot of people. Um, and there were other events, performances at the Kennedy Center where we got to meet other club kids. So, it wasn't just Germantown at all. We got to travel that's, all throughout the DMV. Oh, yeah, no, that's awesome. So I was curious about that. Um, and then... Gabrielle, what inspired you to enter, you know, the nonprofit sector? You have a, a great background, but, you know, you said you've been with the club for three years. What, what inspired you to take on that position? I think that I had always had an interest in, in really wanting to, to do more. I spent the first 
part of my career in corporate America, and and I think it gave me a strong background in in business development and sales and human resources. And I was able to really bring those skills together um, to to really be able to to lead in the nonprofit space. Health and education have been the two areas for me that I've always wanted to focus on and have been able to do that. And I would say Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington is just the pinnacle to be able to work with young people every day and to see them grow and develop. Even in my three years, I've seen some of our, our young people graduate from high school and get into college and really start just growing into these special young people that you truly um, are just in awe of because they have the capabilities and the skills and the desires and the dreams to do so many things and they are accomplishing them. I just, I hope that I'm just a small part um, that we can play in, um, in that advancement and just waiting to see what they're gonna do with their lives. It's, um, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and, and thank you for that because quite frankly, like I, going back to the empowering the youth, I think setting children up for success and saying you can really, you can choose the path you want to go on and hear resources to help. I think it's a very, it makes a very big difference um, as you know, you enter adulthood. And I, and I would love to get into the power of community and education here because I think, you know, the more I think about my education and just education in general um, and how pivotal it is, and not only, like I said, it's not just the book smart, it's the street smart too. And having both of those skill sets to, to really enter and be a um, great contributing citizen in, in the world. Uh, I would love to start with uh, you, Khalil, as, you know, what is your aspect? We, we talked about community, talked about education. I mean, thinking about the path that you chose, you know, how did you, you know, how did you choose Yale? How did you, how, and, and what's the power of all of that, right? And, and and I just love for you to start and kind of touch on some of that. Yeah, I'll say one thing that is important when you're talking about community and education is the importance of perspective. Because I think any one individual will have their own life experiences and view the world from a certain lens. Um, but what you gain from having like a strong community um, and opportunities to like talk to a lot of people and meet a lot of people and hear the opinions and perspectives of a lot of other people is that you expand your own um, uh, like your own perspective on the world, which makes you more creative, um, makes you more skillful, like makes you more empathetic to other people's experiences, um, lives, and their plights. And I think that's super imperative uh, for someone like me, especially because I want to go in with the advocacy space. Being in student government, it's all about amplifying the voices of other people and really listening to constituents. And I think the, the balance in the, the, uh, the marriage between community and education is in that when you build a strong community around you, you educate yourself more and you make yourself more receptive to like other opportunities of education in the future because you gain the ability to learn how to learn um, from other people and from like the world around you. And I think that's super important. I think that's something I'm definitely gonna take with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, frankly, the word perspective is something that I, you don't hear tons and tons of young people say, and because it's a huge, it, perspective is life, but you can learn, you can have perspective as early as you want, but you just have to open your eyes to larger than yourself, right? So I think that's a very wise statement. 
um, very wise. Gabrielle, did you have anything to um, piggyback or um, expand on on that topic? I think education is just a key for so many things. Um, I happen to be the daughter and the granddaughter of educators. So when you, when you talk about that, I've seen the power of education. It is a great equalizer. And I think about the kids that we serve, the majority of them are black and brown kids. And to be able to see them to go on and finish high school, virtually all of our kids finish high school on time, 98% um, every year. 90% of them go on to college or post-secondary education or the military. So they have those plans. And so when I see um, this in action year after year, I realize just how important it is to these young people. And uh, you know, in, in the current environment, um, and in, in the environment that we've been in for many, many years right. and yeah. in the yeah. future, yeah. education is really key for these young people. And many of them are first generation college. You know, some aren't, but many are. And so they are able to uh, do tremendous things in their own lives, but also in their families, younger brothers and sisters and others see them and emulate that. So I want people to understand the importance that Boys and Girls Clubs makes in the lives of our, our children. I, I talk about the helping them create the dreams and then being able to achieve those dreams. And, and we see it all the time. And I, and I love that. I think that the more, because I, I, I feel as, um, with technology and social media, we can get so overwhelmed by where to give, where to, who to engage, what to talk about, like, what's the, where should we put our, um, if, if we have in kind, you know, where should that go? And it is, it is overwhelming. There's so many organizations, but this is where it's really important to highlight your organization and to amplify your voice because it's important to do that in, in, in this type of overwhelming world. It's like, where, where can we give the most support to the next generation, right? To the next generation to provide resources, um, opportunity, um, education perspective. And I think that is why, frankly, for me, I was so attracted to your organization um, and just hearing, and I, and I know, I've always known about you guys, right? I just digged, I just digged a little deeper and that's when I'm like, this is magic, right? And you just have to dig a little deeper sometimes, right? Just to really understand. You know, I would say that that is very true. A lot of people know about us, but they're not quite sure what we do. And I, I think that what we do, uh, we call it behind the blue doors, um, because you enter through the blue doors, is just, um, it is the most special thing that I've really seen, the relationships that our kids make with other kids and with our staff, but just the ability for them to um, achieve the dream, um, but, but to know what to dream. We create an opportunity for them to say, oh, okay, I'm interested in this area, I'm interested in that area, because of the different um, you know, development courses that we have, Money Matters, Passport to Manhood, so many different things that it just opens their horizons and allows them to think outside of the box that they've created. And so they get to color outside the lines. And uh, this enables them to 
to really excel and to exceed. And we hold these young people accountable. We want to make sure that they're doing the right things and have that support at the clubs. Wherever they get it from the outside, that's great, that's added. But we wanna make sure and we know that we can provide it on the inside. So Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington is, is really that, um, it's, for some kids it's their first home, but for many it is truly their second home too. I love that. And I'm gonna start for the next, for the next topic, I'm gonna start with Khalil. I actually, I watched The Politician and I just, and the whole thing of, like I said, I ran for vice president in fifth grade and then I was like, all right, that's it. I lost, I don't think this is me. But the passion with how it started in high school with the politician, I don't know if it's overly done, but the, the leaders of, like our next generation of leaders and politicians are going to be magical because we care so much. Gen Z cares so much, millennials care so much. And so I wanna know, Khalil, what are your guiding principles when it comes to leadership? Yeah, I would say if I had, a few. The first one's definitely to seek counsel from other people, especially people who are probably going to disagree with you. Um, because I think, especially in my term over the past month and a half, there's been no shortage of crises, whether it be the thing that just came out with um, the immigration constraints, where students who are international are literally barred from taking courses or taking an online semester and have to get deported, in a sense, back to their home countries or the Black Lives Matter protests or just COVID when it first came. And I think in reaction to a lot of these things, there's things that you might think are the best solution or the best response or the best statement to get out there. But I think it's more about um, not doing what is your initial gut reaction, but talking to other people, taking the time, scheduling the time, having a really good robust process for response um, and, and paths forward that involve getting perspectives, as we were talking about earlier, from other people. And I think I emphasize on people who disagree with you because I think that's the best way to expand your horizon understanding of the problem is when someone who like is coming from a totally different viewpoint and you know you guys are always butting heads gives you criticism, then you'll hear it before it like comes out uh, in the future. Like a, there's something, there's a campus newspaper called the Yale Daily News. Um, and we've been at like combat with them for the past, what, like 50 years. But I always say to the people on the executive board of the student government that I'm on, I'd rather hear a dissent now than get roasted or, or blasted in the Yale Daily News later on. Um, there's some noise out there. But yeah, I was saying I'd rather hear it now than get blasted in the Yale Daily News later on. So I always welcome different perspectives, especially ones that are different from my own. I, that's, no, I, I love that. Also, what's also great about hearing different perspectives is that then you are more educated to have the conversations with people because then you kind of come in as a neutral a neutral party who can have their opinions mm -hmm. but it's the different type of politician where you're not necessarily down the other person's throat trying to say your stuff you're listening to your constituents yeah. and you're taking that into account to make you know your decisions moving forward yeah. one thing i always awesome. say as like a mantra is like i always tell myself i should be able to articulate the opposing viewpoint better than they can articulate it themselves before I respond with an opinion. So that way I have a full comprehensive understanding of what's going on before I ever like open my mouth to try to combat or, or make a compromise. So what what um, motivated you to run? Did you also, were you in leadership um, in high school or middle school or elementary school? Yeah, no, so I never did student government before college at all. 
uh, I think I was motivated to run because I think when you first come to campus, there's a sort of little leagues of student government, which is called the first year class council, which is basically like a freshman version of student government. It's a subsidiary body, but their elections are on the second week that you get to Yale. Uh, so I was like, yeah, it was really scary and really like nerve wracking, but I thought this would be one, a great way to meet people um, like at the onset of college and two, a great way to like understand how, how Yale works. And then also a perk is that you're the main event making body. So there's something called the first year barbecue, the first year Olympics, the first year formal, which is basically like a first year prom and student government gets to plan all of that. So I thought between those three reasons, it was a good, like it was important to run. So I ran against, I want to say like 10 other people because a lot of people had the same idea as me um ended up luckily winning that election and i got in the first year class council uh and i ran for president of the first year class council because i was just like it's a council election where you just get nominated on um and then there's leadership elections after that i didn't win those but i did enjoy my time as just like a general member of the first year class council um it was a really cool experience and at the end of the year there was a campaign that one of my friends who was an upperclassman ran for student body president and i think as a part of that campaign i learned more about the more substantial issues that like the main student government body tackles and these are things that are not like a pep rally or just getting a vending machine in your hallway like it might seem in high school it's like dealing with like sexual misconduct policy um and town gown relations with like gentrification it's very serious stuff and i think that responsibility um is something that like kind of alerted me because i felt like i had like good ideas and that i could do it my friend ended up not winning um but i did campaign to get on the executive board of the person who did win and then having served on the executive board for a year i became more intimate with those issues and their solutions and i ran won my election um and then for like the past year and a half i've just been like in student government uh just like like carrying through the promises that i made and i think it's been very rewarding of an experience yeah that's i mean that's great frankly i was like two weeks that's too soon you haven't even gotten to know the school yet but i think that's just a great way to just you know, dive right in and then seeing that trajectory of what your focuses were then. But I think those were just milestones to get to where you are now to deal with some of these more serious, larger issues. Um, well, congratulations. And I think, and I really truly think that this is a great, um, just great experience to have when you do enter the next phase of your life. So with that as well, do you, do you love politics? Do you want to, is that something you would like to pursue after school? I mean, not, figured that out yet or decided? I, would, I probably liked politics bef more before the role than after. I think it's it's been very rewarding, as I say, but it is very taxing. Like there's no kind of empathy for a politician when there's something that's happening. For example, let's say there's a crisis that happens at 10 a.m. Um, by 10.05, there's going to be a, a message on Facebook that has 100 likes about where is the Yellow College Council? Cleal is silent on these issues. He doesn't care. Um, while you're formulating an email to kind of like address the issue and like this is a lot to deal with so I think I have to like build more fortitude and more confidence um, to get the like urge to run because I think right now I'd rather do something where I'm more like uh, more intimate with like the issues that I'm trying to solve so something like the Boys and Girls Club in a nonprofit without necessarily having to like have that public aspect to the role um, that kind of takes up a lot of time that could be otherwise directed towards the solution. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that for me too, from being on the, um, I love the nonprofit world, but working from that private sector aspect, sometimes I feel like I can do more um, directly than necessarily, you know, in, in, in politics. So 
Gabrielle, what are your guiding principles when it comes to leadership? Uh, I think that the first thing that I always say is I lead by example. I try to ensure that, um, that my team feels comfortable and confident that, you know, I'm, I'm in it with them and that many of the things that they do, I've also done so that I have some experience and, and can really speak to it so that, um, that, that we can work together. Also, I, 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 it's, it's all about um, listening to others' opinions. Uh, it, this is not a dictatorship. It is really very much of a, you know, learning from each other, having input from others to really try to make the best decisions possible. And we have certainly had a lot of decisions to make recently, um, just so many things changing and having to come up with solutions without a lot of answers sometimes. And that's uh, very much like Khalil said, it's, it's not even a weekly basis, it's a daily basis and, you know, five times a day. So I think these, those things have come into play. But the one thing that I will add is as I have managed longer and longer in my career, I, I have also learned to trust but verify. And I think that has, has truly uh, served me well. But I will say that uh, being a leader is um, always a challenging position to be in but it is extremely rewarding if you can mentor and inspire those people on your teams to, um, to grow and develop, whether you have them with you for a year or for 10 years. If they leave your organization better than they came in, I think you've done your job. Yeah, no, and, and that, is, that is exactly what leadership is, because I think leadership, in my mind, it's not about yourself, it's about the others that you're impacting. And how can you always improve upon that? And quite frankly, going into um, uh, just brief on this next topic is you, we are in crisis, right? And we and one of the biggest things of and differentiators and uh, beautiful aspects of the club is the in person. And I know you're doing some summer camps in person, but some are virtual um, given the limited capacity. So. How are you both kind of navigating that to stay connected um, to the community? Do you want me, I'll, I'll start. Sure, yeah. Um, sure, we, uh, on March 13th, we pivoted. All of our clubs were closed by the end of that Friday. And, uh, you know, our kids were not experiencing the same normalcy that they would have every day come to the clubs after, after school. And so now they didn't have school and they didn't have the clubs. And our team really uh, pivoted quickly, developed a virtual learning platform within two weeks. And now we're serving over 500 kids um, daily uh, through our virtual platform clubhouse at your house, which, which has many of the same things that they do, STEM, music, arts, um, homework help, all of those things that they got in person, they are getting um, virtually. We also uh, ensured that our kids still had meals, so we've been doing services uh, for them in many of our clubs um, daily. But the, and the one other thing that we were able to add that I was extremely uh, proud of is a partnership with um, Maryland Department of Education to serve the essential, uh, essential workers, their kids. Um, you know, as they were out taking care of us, 
they needed to have a place where their kids could be taken care of and parents could feel safe and um, have it in their minds that their kids are, are okay while they're, they're doing their job. So we've done that for quite um, a few uh, months now. And so we continue on to try to ensure that the young people that need us most, we're able to do whatever we can to, to support them. Um, you know, we had the first pandemic that we called it, which has been four months old, but we continue to, to fight the centuries-long pandemic of racial injustice. And we have always ensured that our kids get strong programming. I think now what's different is the conversations that are happening around this. Um, they have been somewhat uncomfortable for many, but they have certainly been necessary. And I think now is the time to, to see what the progress is going to be. It's, it's one thing to, to, to have the conversation, but how are we going to really make a difference in the lives of our children? I would 100% agree with that. And before moving um, to Khalil on that note is, is what's been a silver lining with the pandemic is that what we're seeing the pandemic of racial injustice come to full really where some people's eyes that were not open are open and it's not just a two-week situation right where it's a blip it's this is ongoing and this is an ongoing of i really truly hope of not just talking about it doing something about it um and it takes everyone right it takes everyone it doesn't just take one group but it also is, an, is a matter of education too, um, and really understanding the why behind everything too, as well. So I hopefully, I'm an optimist, I hope, I'm hopeful that this is a step in the right direction, truly, not just a Band-Aid, and we really can you know, make change. Um, Cleo, I'd love to get your uh, opinion as well, since you've been work you are working with the organization, and especially during these times, I mean, you're working with, you know, as interning with the club, but also dealing with crises um, at school. I mean, I just wanted to see how you are also staying connected, not only to the club members, but also to students um, in navigating, you know, both, both the pandemic that has been here for a very long time and also the four-month-old one. Yeah, I would say my summer is pretty much taken up by four things if I had to think about it. One is student government, as you were saying, responding to all the crises. That's mainly through emails and keeping up with social media as people tag me on a series of issues that come up as they come up. Um, the second thing is obviously boys and girls clubs, which is like my main priority now, especially with the internship that I have. Um, and that has been participating in Clubhouse at Your House. So as uh, Gabrielle was mentioning, that's that virtual platform that they have. And I ran a week or bi-weekly series um, for about a month to teach the, or like two months to teach the kids about different lessons, um, very timely lessons too. The first one was about advocacy um, and electoral politics. So I use like an analogy of like a red team and a blue team to talk about the upcoming election. And then the analogy of a basketball game where there's a three-pointer, a two-pointer, like a one-pointer to talk about how different states have different point systems within the electoral college. Um, and then also in that same lesson plan, I talked about advocacy. So how, how the club kids might find a problem that they um, see, identify a solution, and then like three points, sort of like learning about rhetoric and, and argumentation, advocate for their solution that they come up with to be enacted or be implemented. 
Um, and in that same thing, I think something that was really striking is that one part of the lesson was asking club kids if they ended up as president either in November or 40 years down the line, they're actually like eligible to run because of their age. Um, what would they change? And like, I think hearing what the club kids wanted to change was really striking, but also really inspiring. Like someone was talking about climate change. I mean, these are people who are like, these are kids who are like in elementary and middle school, like climate change, um, just kind of like bullying and, and that, and, and just like the dynamic in schools um, around like making fun of other people and causing self-harm and stuff like that. And then one that was really striking and timely was someone said they wanted to end the racial profiling that they see going on. Um, which is very sad because I think we usually think about these things in terms of like political news commentators and adults and academics discussing this, but these kids are very aware of the current situation, what's going on in America and it affects them, but they also are, as we see, inspired to change that. And I think that's really hopeful. And then that informed my next lesson plan, which is about criminal justice. Um, and I try to bring in a historical and worldly perspective on the matter, talking about from like ancient Sumeria, where they had Hammurabi's code, which was more strict like penal system for people who committed crimes all the way to like um, indigenous um, restorative justice where like someone who wronged someone else instead of going to jail, they can like do sort of like what's analogous to community service to make up for it. And just expanding their understanding of what's going on right now and not just having them narrow down their perspective on what could be to the current state of affairs. Um, and, I, and then also inform my next, um, my next lesson plan and so on and so forth. So I think having that experience like connect with club kids was really important um, and has been really impactful for me. And the two other things, I was working on the Montgomery County Food Security Task Force to get food to people around the county. Um, and then the last thing was, oh, I have my history thesis because I'm going my senior year. So I'm working with Professor David White who wrote a really important book on Frederick Douglass um, to learn more about like the history of philanthropy, which like also relates to the Boys and Girls Clubs. Frank, I mean, just those four aspects in general, you're hitting so many different uh, impactful educational um, moments, not only moments, but the, the importance of history and just understanding the worldly aspect of where do these systems even come from, I think is a great place at a young age to understand mm -hmm. because it has shaped in some way our society of what it is today, it's, I mean, frankly, I'm not really that very excited about some things with our society today, but, you know, understanding that at a young age and to be able to ask those questions and raise it as a concern now with just asking it in more of like an innocent way with that, rather than having that, you know, fast forward at 25 or 26 years old where you aren't asking it in an innocent way, you're, you're more angry. And yeah. you are asking, like, I want to fix this rather than being angry about it. And I think that that's really important. Um, and the, to your point about the worldly view, you know, going back to the power of education, I don't think everyone's educated on that worldly aspect of the why behind this mm -hmm. and what has been in the system for so many years as to why we are here now. So that's really important. And I'm also feel like they love hearing it from someone they can rehearse or relate to of someone who's a bit younger rather than, you know, an older professor. So I, I bet it's sinking in a little bit more than it would yeah. from an older professor. Yeah, and I will say, cause luck, like, it's not luckily, but like really relevant to today. Um, I'm majoring in history, but specifically social change and social movements, which talks about like when society, whether it be like a cultural norm, like men wearing skirts, or something more substantial, like the way the, the political system works, like when that becomes changeable, 
because people and everyday people stand up against that like how that dynamic works across history is like actually what i've been studying for so long and i think that's becoming to the forefront of a lot of people's minds with what's going on um and could have would have been a laughable major maybe like a year ago um but i think it's even more timely now and i think with that perspective um i'm i'm really glad to be in a position where i can educate um and simplify these matters so that younger kids can understand them um, and it can inform their foundation of how to look at these different issues that we're facing right now. Yeah, and to say, I don't think it would be laughable. I think it would be that it wasn't, it's been scratching the surface for so long. We've had different administrations where it's been scratching the surface and it's been there. But I like to say that, I'm sorry, I use this in my podcast and it might gross people out, but we've had a huge pimple that just popped and now we need to just like do work and take care right. of it. And so it's kind of like law school where people in law school, a lot of the law you're learning is from years ago. Like it's, but, but a lot of the law that needs to be done now is like with cyber and digital and social media, Facebook, but that's, you're not reading about that. So you're experience, so you're reading history and experiencing really pivotal moments in history, real time that your perspective is really amazing because it's not a lot of perspective that a that the common folk has so yeah, you're I, you have a huge asset there i agree yeah no i 100 percent agree with that i love that so what is you know what is one key message that um you would like to and we'll start with gabrielle what would what's one key message that you would love to get get out to the public i think that boys and girls clubs is um a special and unique organization that really develops young people um, and ensuring that they have a great future. I would love to have people come to visit us and right now in person is not possible, but when it is, uh, please come because they will get to see um, truly what we do. You spent time with Khalil today. You understand better the type of young people that we help um, you know, develop. And, and, and really move towards that special life that they will create and the ability to help and bring others along with them. Boys and Girls Clubs is just uniquely positioned to really help thousands of kids um, reach their full potential and their dreams. And um, we are here to do that with the help of many volunteers, our staff, and others that have an interest in young people. Love that. How about you, Khalil? Yeah, I would just say, I think it's really important as we're seeing every corporation from a tire company to like the technology companies, they're all issuing statements about their response to the Black Lives Matter protests and how they're committed to racial equity um, and combating systems of injustice. And I would say my message is just to back that up with substantial action, both at like the very corporate, corporate uh, level, but also the individual level. Because I think even as you see someone who is very involved with like um, reposting and resharing content and talking about the defunding of police or whatever policy they're, they're advocating for, I think there's, there's a tendency to like get caught up in like the almost like bandwagon, not really bandwagon, but like in the movement in that way, um, but not necessarily follow up with really substantial things that can help out. Because for example, if we're talking about um, how we need to advocate to put more money and youth programs, like there's a youth program right here in your local area called the Boys and Girls of the Greater Washington. Um, they need resources, they need volunteers, um, and they have a really great mission. They have a really huge impact on the kids. 
So follow up in ways that really like take effort and take time, but also have really substantial impact. So I think it's very easy to get caught up in flowery language um, and generalized statements. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I think that is something that I would love, we're, we need to amplify that message on both fronts. Um, Cause it's not just resharing an Instagram story. Cause that's what other people are. It's like, do you, but it's, I was like, do you actually know what the, like what that saying, like, if you research the policy behind what they're trying to implement, you know, let's just do some research before you just reshare. But I think that's really, um, really important. Well, this is not the first you'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm excited just hearing about, I, I want to follow up with you right now, Khalil, so we can figure out, talk more about what you're doing with the Boys and Girls Club and how I can help this summer. Um, and you both are just amazing people. I'm so happy and honored to have you guys on today. Um, is there anything else that you would kind of like to leave with the audience before we wrapped up? You know, um, Khalil mentioned Frederick Douglass a little while ago, and one of my favorite quotes from him is that it is easier to build strong children than repair broken men. And it is exactly what we do. We build strong children and we do need help and resources and time and all of those things um, to really continue to help make Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington an even stronger organization. Uh, Khalil mentioned it and I think it's important. You know, there is a lot of conversation now about uh, racial inequities and so forth. They didn't just appear. They've been here for four centuries. And our kids have been very, very aware of these. It didn't just happen with George Floyd. It, it's, it's been their entire life. That's what they've lived. But now it's time to be accountable. And, and so let's really do something. And our organization is a place that people can really um, find a way to make a real difference, not just a commercial and a marketing effort, but let's see the actual results. And so... I'd like to um, bring as many of those organizations into our family as possible so that we can help our kids. Yeah. Great, how about you, Cleo? Um, I was continuing on the note of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was born in Maryland and his historic home uh, that he lived in in his adult life is in DC. So even more relevant to the whole DMV conversation. Um, but besides that, yeah, I, I just wanna echo the statement of just making sure that you're following up because a lot of the people and a lot of the organizations that are getting support, even if it is like donations, I was talking to this one nonprofit in New Haven where Yale is, and they were saying it was a bail fund and they got $600,000 over the course of like a week after the protest. Um, but they were, they only have four staff members and like they've been there for a long time and people are just recognizing it now. And they don't necessarily have the manpower, the capacity to either like manage those funds or allocate them or even come with like a good place to put the money so it's it's a it's a mix of two things it's the resources that you should give to these organizations and it's also the time and energy like as i said before um and i think like you have to be holistic in your approach on how you're trying to like combat this injustice that you see um and it can't just be one thing it has to be it has to be everything um that's the only way to move forward and actually solve these issues and as a politician, you will know that it's not just funding. You know, you can throw a dollar, but it's like you, you, it, it takes a lot more than that. So what is one thing that our audience, if they were going to leave this, you know, leave the, after listening to the podcast or watching, what is one thing that they could do right away that's impactful other than even, of course, donating, but other than that? 
Um, I would say, like, I guess this is like kind of the like the frame of that is is kind of counter. Not like, counter, but just to, to yeah. start, right? Like to start the not the one thing where it just be one thing, but with yeah. what how to start and actually start in a way that's impactful and to continue being impactful. I think okay, if I had to give one thing to start out with and very like emphasis on the starting. Start. I would say it's to educate yourself on the histories as we were talking about before of the issue. Um one, I don't know one central location where you can find a good reading list, but I think Google is a great place to start. So I would say Google the words anti-racist reading list. Get a list of those books so you understand how slavery to Jim Crow, to the civil rights era, to the war on drugs, war on crime, to the Black Lives Matter era, how these things um, are all interconnected and how because of the policies and the, the societal bias and all the other things, the politics, the economics, how all of that, how all of that played a role in determining how society is right now, where you find most black people in America are living in urban centers or in the deep south where it's like very rural, very poor, um, how race and, and wealth are so interconnected. Like there's no reason if everything was a very randomized and meritocratic that like your skin color would determine how much money you have because we're believing we're all the same, which we are. Um, then like at a very intrinsic basis, we should all be able to see it at the same rates. But you see it's very tied to race, very tied to like being male, very tied to sexuality and gender and all of these other things. And you need to understand why. Um, and I think that's probably the best first step that you can do. How about you, Gabrielle? Yeah, along those lines, I think that we need to have some real meaningful and honest conversations um, with each other. I have had a number of people reach out to me um, and I think they were very uncomfortable. They wanted to say that they were sorry. Um, they wanted to figure out how they could help, but they weren't sure of the words. And I think that the more you have the conversations just out loud and, and really start sharing ideas and thoughts, it, it becomes meaningful. And so not just saying, I'm not racist, um, it's an easy comment, but do you live that? And, and, and if you do, how do you really make a difference? Because things are not equal. Um, everybody does not have the same opportunities and it is truly time for that to change. Um, now is, is, is our best shot. It, we've never had a better opportunity to really make some things meaningful. And, and I will tell you, frankly, those conversations that I've had, many of them have brought both of us to tears. But it's, it, you feel lighter. You, you feel like that there are people that are in this battle with you. And uh, I will be in this battle every single day as long as I have uh, these young people at Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington to support and to help. Well, thank you. And thank you, Khalil. I think those are, that makes me more comforted too, because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable topics. What's to say right, what's not to say right. But I always just appreciate like, even just now, one thing, well, that's not exactly the way to frame it. I was like, no, you're right. That was counterproductive the way I just said that. But we could just have that conversation and it's not awkward or uncomfortable. We just have to be transparent. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, I would just like to say, again, thank you so much for joining today. Um, 
if you want to just give the shout out to the website, uh, Gabrielle, so people can find, find uh, the amazing clubs. Sure, it's, it's bgcgw.org. So Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington.org. We would love to hear from you. Awesome. We'll check them out. We'll also include all the links um, in the promotions for the interview. This has been a great conversation. I hope to continue this conversation more offline and get, of course, more involved with the club. But I'm your host, Jen Sherman of the Influencer Collective Show. We had a really special guest today, two guests, uh, Khalil Green. He's the Yale College Student Body President and also an alumni of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington. I will also note he's also first, you're also the first black president of Yale, which is amazing. Shout out, because that's awesome. Um, I did not mention that in the beginning and I forgot, so I will, huge thing. Um, and also Gabrielle Webster, the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Washington. Uh, thank you guys so much. You can subscribe to the Influence Reflective show on iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube, find us on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all the works, and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much. Did you enjoy the jingle? That song is called Luxury, and it's by me, Kat Janice. Find me on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you get your tunes to hear my newest single, Luxury. It's a luxury.